It is a Wednesday, June the 1st, the 1st of June, isn't that lovely? Doesn't it sound nice, uh, June 1st? I think it does anyhow. Welcome to the Richie Allen Show. It's live, it's it's alive in Salford, and not too far from Media City, I love that fact. Me, the BBG, with you for as long as I last today. I've got an armful of content, but I don't know how long it's going to last because I can't possibly be expected to time these things. You can talk to me via talked to me via richieallen.co.uk. That's the one. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is myself, all right. Who else would you have this hour of the day with uh, Wednesday's program? It's hard when you take the bank holiday. When you have a bank holiday, it's difficult the week. You don't know where you are. But I've about just about got my bearings. It's Wednesday, so it's bin man night. The bins have to go out. Yeah, i got to remember that. Yes, richieallen.co.uk. I have been updating the website in the last couple of days. There might be one or two things of interest to you there. Articles and stuff and whatnot. Check it out. Yeah, okay. Where, where, where am I going to start today? There's quite a, a bit to get through, so we could be together here sometime. It was freezing this morning, wasn't it? Strangely enough, June 1st, couldn't believe it when I walked out the door at 5.30am with the girls. And when I say that, I don't brag. I'm not bragging when I say that. It might come across as I'm bragging. Oh, the tough guy up at half five. No, no, I've battled insomnia for most of my life. In fact, since my teens. So it's it's just the way it is. So I'm not bragging about 5.30. It just happens to be the way it is. It was freezing. There was a bit of a frost around here. My cojones disappeared immediately, instantly gone. Freezing cold it was. I had to go back inside and put on a heavier coat. Yes, bit of a wimp. Here we are. Summer nearly upon us. Airport misery. Has that affected you, by the way? Let me know. Why do you want to know that, Richie? I'm curious. Has it affected you? It is half term and people are trying to get away with their kiddies. When we lived in Spain, this was a nice time when we lived in Spain. Because it's, you know, very late spring, early summer. And when you are in the bar business, as my better half was, it's a good time because you get lots and lots of Brits, lots and lots of Irish. And uh, they come in with their kiddies and they have a few drinks and a bit to eat. And you do quite well. It's a good time. Are you planning to go away? Has it affected you? Horrible stories all over the place today, particularly here in Manchester from people having package holidays cancelled, particularly with the firm TUI, that's T-U-I, staff shortages at airports and airlines are shorthanded too. Not just the airports, but the airlines who rent space to land and take off at airports are shorthanded. It's a bit of a nightmare. It's worth just mentioning for a couple of minutes Let me read from the BBC website. It says passengers have expressed fury over what they see as poor treatment after travel giant TUI axed dozens of flights amid continued misery at UK airports. Chris Thompson, whose flight home from Turkey was cancelled minutes before departure, told the BBC that TUI's organisation was absolutely 
abysmal. Around 34,000 customers were told their June holidays out of Manchester had been axed. Some in overnight emails TUI apologised and said the vast majority of its flights were operating. And the BBC quotes someone. The quote is, we understand that last minute cancellations are incredibly disappointing and we would like to reassure our customers that we are doing everything we can to get them on holiday as planned. Other airlines, including EasyJet and BA, have also cancelled flights amid staff shortages and other issues that have coincided with rising demand for foreign travel after the pandemic. Mm, yeah. Now, airports and airports, airports and the airlines were warned, uh, they were well warned when they were letting huge amounts of people go late last year, early this year, and they were letting people go blaming it on COVID. That's the reason for the redundancies. Now they're saying they can't get staff. Not only that, but they can't go after the staff they made redundant because allegedly many of them, if not most of them, have found other employment and they don't trust their former bosses that they won't get canned again next time there's a crisis, you see. So this is leaving people in a very bad place. In fact, one of the news websites reported today a particularly distressing story of a young girl who's terminally ill and was embarking on most certainly the last holiday she would have with her family. And while in the airport, they were told by, I think, Tui, if not easy yet, but one of them anyway, they were told, oh, the holiday is cancelled. We can't take you now. We don't have the staff. And somebody else said that you couldn't even then, if you had a package holiday booked, right, you might think to yourself, okay, so the airline has let me down. If I can get a separate flight, if I can book my own flight, I can head to the Canaries or I can head to the Costa del Sol and I can just pick up the package holiday. But apparently, no. No, apparently. So this is terrible. It really is terrible. And there will be people listening to this programme saying, Ah, Richie, sure, this is all part of the agenda. To make it difficult, to make it frustrating, upsetting, this whole staff shortage thing is all part of the plan to get people out of planes, to confine people to their own countries. And eventually... We will get reports from people saying that this has been brilliant for the environment and it's been brilliant in the fight against climate change that not so many people are flying and maybe we really should introduce limits, personal limits on flying uh, in airplanes. I hear you, dear listener. We've been talking about this for a long time, but it's fairly distressing for people. And if you are going through it, it's, uh, it's tough. You need a break now more than ever. I get it. But um, it might get worse. We talked about this on the show last night, didn't we? How difficult this might become in July because there isn't any real prospect of these companies getting the staffing levels necessary to cope with the huge volume of travellers in July. I reckon the chaos we are seeing now will be nothing compared to what's coming. So... uh I mean, I wouldn't be flying outside the UK anyway. Not with uh, two young puppies. It wouldn't be happening. If we go anywhere this summer, it'll be local or local-ish, which is what we've done for the last couple of years or more. It's uh, coming up for eight minutes past the hour. OK. One of Boris Johnson's strongest allies has hit out at Tory MPs for trying to get rid of him. 
Nadine Dorries, the Culture Secretary, Secretary, has accused MPs who have spoken out against Johnson and who have sent letters to the 1922 committee, letters of no confidence against Johnson. Nadine Dorries has said they are doing the work of the opposition. That's what she said. She called it the coordinated campaign by backbenchers. Johnson has been criticised after the release of Sue Gray's Partygate report, which reported on the parties where they had drinks and where they had nibbles where they had pretzels and stuff. Pretzels. What do you put out at your parties? If you're inviting someone round and you've got a couple of bottles of wine in the fridge, you've got a couple of bottles of red, decanting, what sort of nibbles? I mean, do you go all out to impress? Do you get? Do you go all pretentious on it like, like, like I do? <laughs> or what do you do? What do you do? Do you just put out pretzels and crisps? That's lazy, isn't it? Sausage rolls? No, not sausage rolls. I like to put out crackers with pâté. I like to put out little crackers with little bits of smoked salmon. I like a bit of that, me. What do you do? Anyway, so Dory said that the overwhelming majority of Tory MPs still backed Johnson. Uh, the number of MPs openly calling on him to resign is nearly 30 now. Most have written letters of no confidence to Sir Graham Brady. But the total number uh, calling for a contest might be higher. Johnson was speaking to Mumsnet late yesterday. And that interview was released to the public today. He was speaking to Mumsnet. Mumsnet. It's a website for mums to go on there. Mums used to speak to their own mums. Uh, and if their own mums were dead, they would speak to their friends' mums or they would speak to their grandmothers and ask about breastfeeding and stuff like that. These days they go online and presumably bore the living piss out of one another with stories about their babies. Stories they think are hilarious, but everybody else like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard enough baby stories to last a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he grabbed the cat by the tail, did he? Did he? Yeah, lovely. And the cat scraped him. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Right, so Johnson spoke to Mumsnet. Here's a little bit of that. I think the Mumsnet interviewer gave him a harder time than any ITV, Sky, Channel 4 or BBC journalist has done for the last three years. Just my opinion. I, I was very, very surprised and taken aback. Uh, to, to get an FPM, but of course I, 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 I paid it. And um, I think that, you know, where, why am I still here? Um, I'm still here because uh, we've got huge pressures uh, economically. Uh, we've got uh, to get on and, uh, I mean, we've got a, a, the biggest war in Europe for, for, for 80 years. Uh, and we've got to, a massive agenda to deliver, which I was elected to deliver. Yeah. And, I, and I was going to be, I, I, I thought about all these questions a lot, as you can imagine. And I, I just cannot see how actually it would be responsible right now, given everything that is going on, uh, simply to, to, to abandon. A, a, the project on which I embarked to, I that, to, but, to but, level up. Well, I'm not going to deny that it, it, the whole thing hasn't been a totally, you know, uh, miserable uh, experience for, for, for people in, in government. And, and we've got to learn from it and we've got to understand uh, the mistakes that we made and we've, and we've got to, to move forward. This is why I said she's a bit better or harder than the journalists in inverted commas, he would meet on the legacy media. She'd like to know 
Why should we believe anything you say when it has been proven you're a habitual liar? Well, I, first, first of all, uh, don't agree with the, the conclusion. The best way for me to answer that, that is to say, uh, look at what I get on and deliver and what I say I'm going to, to, to deliver. Right. Look at what I'm going to deliver, said Johnson, to Mum's Net. Not lovely, Mum's Net. Um, here's Labour's Lisa Nandy on that. This is a government that is rotten to the core, but the rot starts from the top. If you can't trust the Prime Minister to act with decency and integrity, not to bend the rules when it suits him and rewrite the rules when he falls foul of them, can you trust him when he says that he'll actually deliver on tackling the cost of living crisis or dealing with Russian aggression in Ukraine? If you can't trust a single word the Prime Minister says, then the problems go much deeper than one ethics advisor. If you can't trust Boris Johnson, who can you trust God damn it. Lisa Nandy from Labour there. The time is uh, 13 minutes past five. Your Richie Allen show. Comment live via the website richieallen.co.uk. Tis myself, I tells you. Did you see this on the website today? Headline, California to pay reparations to descendants of slaves. That's on richieallen.co.uk. California to pay reparations to descendants of slaves. In doing so, it'll become the first state in the US to officially document the harms that it committed against slaves. Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing on its own, if you leave it on its own kind of a thing. How could you argue with it if the state was to put on the record that governors or legislators of yore weren't very kind to African Americans or other people of colour? That isn't a bad thing. You could make an argument for that. I would be inclined to say, uh, sure, Jesus, you know, it's a long time ago, like. But anyhow, doesn't matter what I think. But the problem is when they talk about reparations, a specially convened task force will recommend today, by the way, how to right historic wrongs. So taxpayers will be asked to compensate people whose great-granddaddies or even great-great-granddaddies and grandmammies were the victims of slavery. According to ABC News, California's first in-the-nation task force on reparations for African Americans will release a report today documenting in detail the harms perpetuated by the state and recommending steps to address those wrongs, including expanded voter registration, making it easier to hold violent police accountable and improving black neighbourhoods. It also recommends the creation of a special office that would in part help African Americans descended from free or enslaved black people in the country at the end of the 19th century document their eligibility for financial restitution. So you're really talking about great 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 granddaddies. A special office to help black people whose ancestors were slaves in the 19th century, document their eligibility for financial restitution. The report is 500 pages long, as I said, released today. It'll be the first government commission study on harms against the African-American community, which doesn't exist. There isn't any such thing as a community outside of the street or collection of streets that you live on and walk around. That's your community. 
I live in Salford. I live on a street. That is my community. It is populated by mostly by baldy white gammons like myself, salt of the earth, uh, and, and a few black people and a few Asian people. But we're the majority here, the baldy gammons. No, we're not. So that's, that's my community. And as we've been here three years now, I'm getting to know people and more people's names and what they do. I mentioned Jill yesterday coming out of the chemist, Jill. We got our friends, Stu, we got Kate, we got, we got Brian, we got Keely. We know the people across the street too now. So that's your community. It's got nothing to do with ethnicity or sexual orientation. That's a real community. There's no such thing as the African-American community. And this, I was educated in this concept by my pal Andy, who I've mentioned. Andy is gay and he hates the notion of gay community. He says, Richie, I've got nothing in common with most gay people I meet. The only thing we have in common is our sexual orientation. But straight people don't have a straight community. So why would we have a gay community? We don't, he says. Very good, so I began to look into that. So anyway, look, 500 pages is this report on harms against African Americans... And uh, it's mad, isn't it? And it's dangerous. And, and it's kind of spooky as well when you think of where it might eventually go. Right? Um, nobody, I don't think anyway, uh, unless you're genuinely horrible. That's okay too if you're horrible. It's your own business. But um, most people wouldn't think that slavery is a good thing then or now. It's pretty awful, isn't it? To take control, to take possession of somebody to rob them of their possessions, to keep them in bondage, to make them work for you against their will. We have it in, in, in the 21st century. People trafficking is a big deal and it's very lucrative. It's, it's, it's awful. It's horrendous. So, so right-minded people don't like it and uh, would be pretty vocal about saying they don't like it or they certainly wouldn't support it and it's pretty awful. Yeah. Now, asking people, the taxpayers of California, to compensate black people today whose ancestors in the late 19th century may have been slaves. Uh, it's not a stretch on my part, I don't think, to equate that with criminalising Californian taxpayers, white Californian taxpayers, because that's where the money will come from. It's coming from the taxpayer. So they're saying to people, you bear some responsibility for things that happened over a hundred years ago. And that's dangerous, it's foolish, and it's horrible, really. Dystopian, really, isn't it? When you really think about it. Dangerous. Like criminalising people who are as repulsed by slavery as you or me, who are as repulsed by a cop pulling a gun on someone and shooting them, regardless of whether they're black or white or Hispanic, saying to those people, you've got to make payment. And I made this point today, it's not a, it's not a, a new concept, but I have been saying it for many years during broadcasts, just like this. Aren't you telling black people, and particularly young black people, that you are perpetual victims of history? Aren't you giving people a ready-made excuse for failure in all forms, in all walks of life? Academic failure, failure in employment, failure in relationships. Well, you know, 
my people were slaves. Yeah, but you, but but you weren't a slave though. Neither was your father, your grandfather, or your great grandfather. In fact, your father was a principal at a local high school, wasn't he? Yeah, he done all right, didn't he? How are you a victim? And I suppose at some stage it will become absolutely. It'll be dangerous. I, I know. I know it's a word I've used sixteen times already in the last two minutes, but it will become almost um, impossible to say these things, lest you be accused of hate speech and racism. You know, to say, "Well, I don't believe you're a victim, really. Therefore, I don't think you should be going to pick up a check for God knows how much money—a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks, twenty thousand bucks, reparations." Because somebody you never met, an ancestor, victims. I'm an Irishman. I had you fooled, didn't I? I'm an Irishman, right? Um, and I'm a nationalist. I'm a Republican. And I know the history of my country. My country was under siege for hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years. The Normans, the Vikings, the British Empire. Unspeakable things were done. In Ireland by, uh, by the Crown. But nobody should be held responsible for that in 2022. Nobody in the UK bears any responsibility for it. I get really pissed off when people expect the British government, as odious and as corrupt and as disgusting as the British government is and always was, at least in my lifetime, I get really annoyed when they're asked to apologise for something that happened in Belfast in 1970. But this government didn't have anything to do with it. Who was who it apologising on behalf of and who was it apologising to? They didn't do it. Dangerous times. Divide and conquer is what it is. It never gets old. So that's an interesting one. I'm sure the conservative talk shows in the US today will be making much mileage out of this, they'll be screaming and ranting as they do. And you can't have these conversations, you see. You can't. I'd love to have these conversations with black people, with white people. Open it up, couple of hours, legitimate, um, intellectual debate. Let's just talk it out now. But no, no, that's banned. You can't do that. Nobody will do it. You'll get Piers Morgan... You'll get guys on GB News. You'll get Tucker Carlson ranting and ranting and ranting. And what they're not doing is engaging in dialogue with the proponents of such lunacy. And that's what we used to do. We used to sit around, turn the cameras on and say, right there, John, tell me why you think it's important to give Moses there and his wife, Ida, black people, why they should be given thousands of dollars because great-great-great-great-grandpappy was a slave. You let him speak, and then you say, well, this is what I think. That's ridiculous. But nowadays, these debates take place on Twitter, where they're not debates at all. They're screaming matches, people screaming at one another, swearing at one another. And I think that's the way it ultimately was meant to be. But it's creepy, isn't it? If you are of the African-American persuasion and you're listening to this programme, and you think I'm full of shit, you'd be right, I am. I've never made any bones about that fact. But if you think I'm wrong, that reparations are good, let me know. I'm an Irishman, 
There is no doubt that uh, my ancestors suffered under the crown, but it is ludicrous, in my opinion, to, to, to place any blame for that on British people today in 2022. If you think I'm wrong, dear listener, all you got to do is go to richieallen.co.uk and leave a message at live comment. I'm the BBG. This is the Bee Gees. And Nights on Broadway. Guys, if you want to sing this properly, you've got to give your balls a proper squeeze now. Yeah, I never had a falsetto, me. Never had a falsetto. I did have a falsetto before my voice broke. I was a bit like Alan Jones, walking in the air. I could sing that a long time ago. You're with the Richie Allen Show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Ah, it's magnificent, all right. The Jubilee, then, that the media is going all out for the Jubilee. Circular Starmer, stormy arse. Uh, wrote in today's Telegraph that it is your patriotic duty to go out and celebrate it in a street party. The Telegraph are a bit cheeky today. They made out that Starmer was saying that it is your patriotic duty to celebrate the Queen. Their headline was misleading. I read the article. As bad as Starmer is, and by Christ he's bad. He wasn't saying that. He was saying it's your patriotic duty to go and have a street party, which I suppose... Apples and oranges, you might say, well, he kind of was saying you should celebrate the Queen. Your patriotic duty. I say your patriotic duty because I'm an immigrant and I am exempt. I'm an Irish one. I wouldn't piss on the Queen to put her out. That being said, King Philippe, Queen Marguerite and all the rest of them can't stand them. Vile institutions of paedophiles and paedophile protectors. That's what they are. But the media is all over it. 70 years on the throne. Big fucking deal. I lived with an Irish guy once who was never off the jacks, but no parade for him. Now, Sky loves it. Kay Burley, Alistair Bruce and Joanna Lumley is their dream team for the next few days. That's, you know, as bad as it is, this Jubilee crap, I'll have to see some of that because it will be surreal. It'll be vaudeville. There's nothing better than Kay Burley out and about when there is a royal thing on frantically running around, jumping on unsuspecting members of the public to interview them. It is world class. I've gotten a lot of mileage and clips out of it over the years. Uh, This from Kay's breakfast show this morning. Don't get excited. It it isn't Kay. It's on her show, though. Kay threw live, that's what we say in the business, to a reporter who was stood with a proper nutter. Mad John. John is camped out and he has been camped out for several days to get a front and centre view of a big feck off gold carriage which will go past him in the blink of an eye. Presumably the Queen will be in there with that white glove doing that stupid thing with that unscrewing the jar type of wave that she does. So John is camped out. He's as mad as a box of frogs and Kay... Kay's reporter wanted to have a bit of a chat with John. One of those uh, super fans, uh, John Lowry, who some of you may recognise. John, you've been to every single event going, haven't you? I have, for the last 25 years. 
for the last 25 years. That, that's incredible. Yes. And it's not a parody now. John is a genuine person. This is not comedy. And you've been here since Monday this week, is that that's right? That's correct. Yes, yeah. we have. Me and my friends have been camping out here for the, a very special platinum. It's 70 magnificent years platinum for Majesty the Queen. Majesty the Queen. And we're ever so proud of the Queen. Ever so proud of the Queen is John. You were telling me earlier that you're very loyal to the Crown. What do you mean? <laughs> mean by that? Well, I, I came, I, I came... The, Wait till you hear how loyal John is to the Queen. Um, the Church of England, I came, um, I was confirmed as Church of England in 2017 at Westminster Abbey by the Reverend Dr John Hall. He was confirmed as Church of England. So he converted to the Church of England in 2017, God love him. And uh, uh, that, the expression was that was for the Crown. Get it for the Crown. So you converted to the Church of England for the crown. That's how far your devotion to Her Majesty goes. That's my devotion to the crown and Her Majesty the Queen. Brilliant. And um, you also mentioned earlier that you have met uh, all of the senior uh, working royals. Tell me a little bit about that. Who have you met? Can't wait to hear this. Who have you met, John? I've met the Queen twice. I've met Prince Charles. Queen twice, Prince Charles. And I've met um, Harry and Meghan. Harry and Meghan, the Sussexes. And I've met um, uh, Prince William on, a, on, a, on an official visit in, in 2019. And you were saying to me earlier that you also pray for his mother, Princess Diana, every single day. I do. <laughs> I pray that's, for every single day. That's incredible. At home. That's incredible, John. You pray for Lady Di every single day at home. And it's also where I, when I'm camping out here. Yeah. Oh. Uh, also when I'm camping out here too. Ah, fair play, Thomas. Love you, that. Princess Diana every single day. I do. I pray that's, for every single day. That's incredible. At home. And it's also where I, when I'm camping out here. Yeah. Also, I light a candle for her at Westminster Abbey, always. Yeah. That's summer. He lights a candle for her at Westminster Abbey too. Some real dedication from you, John, there. Good luck with the camping and I hope you enjoy Can't the rest of the events. Um, so, Kay, we don't know which of the events that uh, Her Majesty the Queen will be attending given her recent mobility issues. But one thing's for sure, the next few days are looking to be electric, especially if we've got John over here, he'll be uh, attending all of those. <laughs> he won't be attending all of those. He's got a, he's got a tent, he's got a pitched tent, he's, he's pitched up there. He's not going anywhere. Kay is delighted. He sounds like a lot of fun. It's good to talk to you, Sabah. Thanks very much indeed. Brilliant, right? The only person madder, madder even than John is Kay, by the way. Kay is madder than a bunch of coked up chimpanzees on an ice rink. Totally stone mad. Now, Sky's day manager must have been laughing his or her ass off at John because Kay went off air at 10 o'clock and then not Ian King, but another presenter came on. And the other presenter went live to the same reporter and lo and behold, she had John with her again. Now, if you've ever worked in TV or radio, this is very strange. What they normally do is just replay the VT from Kay's show. But this fecker is off his rocker. And I think the day manager or the whoever's in the gallery said, you know what, who knows what he'll say next. Go back to the outside broadcast and get Mad John up again and let's get him talking again. We have uh, the royal blessing this morning. Uh, I'm here uh, at the Mall just outside Buckingham Palace where royal fans have been camping out since as early as Monday to bag the best spots for the Jubilee celebrations, which of course will be marking 70 years on the crown and an incredible uh, achievement. I'm actually joined now by one of those uh, super fans. John Larry, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, now, you've been going out uh, and camping at events for the past 25 years, which is incredible. Tell me uh, a bit about your commitment to the Crown. 
commitment to the crown. Well, first of all, the Queen is the crown jewels. Queen's the crown jewels. And I was confirmed at Westminster Abbey in 2017. You're told Kay that. By the Reverend Dr John Hall. So you converted to the Church of England. Uh, th that was uh, influenced by the royal family. Yes, it was. And I did it for the Crown and I did it for Majesty of the Queen. Thank you. And you uh, mentioned to me earlier that as a, as a young man, you would watch uh, the Queen on television and when the national anthem uh, would, be, would be sung, you would stand up. You would stand up. This is groundbreaking television, this. Uh, from your home, is that right? That's right. I did it since a little boy. Little boy. I used to stand up and went to assembly school after prayers, morning prayers. Assembly after prayers, stand up. Prayers. I used to stand up and match the Queen National Anthem. And then, of course, when I used to watch TV and it used to come to an end at 12 o'clock, I used to always stand up. Ah, yeah, when television used to go off air at midnight, they used to play the national anthem. They used to do that in Ireland as well. But in Ireland, we never stood up. That's because we were fucking paralysed, pissed on the sofa. <laughs> Did anybody ever stand up in Ireland at midnight when RTE went off the air, when the national anthem started playing? Nah, so we could barely fucking stand. We could barely walk. But John stood up. And how much does the Queen mean to you, John? Have you not been listening, love? She's the crown jewels. And I'm, I'm loyal to the Crown, and God save the Queen. Brilliant. John, thank you so much for your time, and good luck with the camping. I think we got a live one. Poor old John. I might get sued for that, but who cares? John there. Will you be as enthusiastic as that, will you, over the weekend? John might be served with a restraining order. If Lizzie happened to be watching the television this morning. You know, senior citizens all over the country are being bombarded with ads for tatty crap to put in their china cabinets to go with all the other tatty crap they've already got in their china cabinets. Does your gran have a china cabinet? Did she when she was alive? Remember when you were over at granny and granddad's and they'd have a fucking stroke if you got within 10 feet of the china cabinet, eh? Get the fuck away from the china cabinet! Yeah? Or if you had a bowl in your hand and you walked into the living room, apoplectic china cabinets with porcelain statues of Padre Pio or someone else in there. Tat. <laughs> Absolute tat. It was all tat. I'm going to play another tune now. And then when I come back, more news. It's Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. And this is Baccarat. And yes, sir, I can boogie. I am live tomorrow, by the way, at five. I took the bank holiday on Monday. I've got to repeat that because some of you are getting a bit antsy. I am with you tomorrow. Baccarat. Yes, sir, I can boogie. The time is 18 minutes to six o'clock. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Now, support for the programme financially has been on the wane for a couple of months. Listener numbers are not on the wane. The programme is as popular as it ever was. I understand why this is happening. Everything is going up. I really, really understand it. But it doesn't help the programme, which costs quite a bit of money to put on. I've gone into it before. So uh, help the programme. Go to richieallen.co.uk. There are bank account details there. There is a Patreon thing. There is a PayPal thing. If you can't support it, please do. Thanks again to Mark Boyerski. For the next three and a half weeks, if you buy a, uh, an e-book 
on markbyerski.com on the website if you buy an ebook the all the proceeds of that will go to this program which is a wonderful thing for Mark. So any ebook purchased at markbyerski.com, proceeds go to this program. And three of those people who buy an ebook, well, everyone will go into a draw, everyone, and three will win a Maldivite pendant. That's Mark's thing. It's a wonderful thing, and thanks to him for doing it, Mark Boyerski. But um, the ebook is not your thing. Support the program. If you haven't done before, support it. If you're new to the program, and increasingly people are, you probably haven't a clue how this is financed. Um, it's expensive to put on. It costs a thousand five hundred pounds a month to stream the program. That's that's just to stream it. That's before every other expense. And, and all of this is true. I've put the stuff out there before. My accounts are a matter of public record. It's expensive. And of course, the more people who listen to it, the more expensive the streaming becomes. So it's kind of like, that's a terrible irony, really. But um, I probably make three appeals a year for funding because it's beneath me. It demeans me. I hate it. But I don't have any advertising, none. And uh, you are the oxygen for the programme. So please support it if you haven't before. Set up a regular thing, a couple of bob a month, you won't miss it. And as I always say, on the rare occasion when I do this, if you cannot afford it, don't think another minute about it. I totally understand. I will never put it behind a paywall. It will always be there for you, whether you contribute or whether you don't. That's a fact. If it ever got to the stage where it became financially unsound, uh, I would walk away rather rather than put it behind a paywall. Okay? Okay. That's enough of that. Your comments. Thank you for them. You've been commenting. Uh, good-o on the website, richieallen.co.uk. That is my website. Um, that also has to be paid for, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Um, surrounded by morons, says. He continues to support the programme. Thank you very much. And he makes mention of those who don't. Um... People are feeling the pinch now. I'm well aware of it. Thank, uh, but thank you. Martin in Spain says, after special, John, that's the royalist, listening, try listening to the song special, Ed, sung by an American guy with a guitar. YouTube special, Ed. John should change his name to Ed, says Martin. Thank you, Martin. Shambhala says, what a feckin' retard John is. <laughs> He's not a retard. God love him. In, he's harmless, really. Instills you with so much confidence in your fellow man. Well, there you go, you see. When you wonder aloud at people's adherence to arbitrary and obviously ridiculous COVID rules, think of John. Uh, Cookie says, anyone heard Van Morrison's new album? I recommend it. And for the support to one of the few speaking, singing about this madness, Cookie says it's a good album and it's good to support somebody in entertainment who is speaking out about the madness. Uh, Fabrizio says, our father was a big fan of Padre Peel, went to Lourdes often, even built a shrine to him in the garden. R.I.P. Pop says, Fabrizio, thanks for that. Lovely. David says, reporting from Pal Malfunction, all those flag-waving loons, it'll be a demonstration of a national malfunction, he says play on words there. Ian says for bozos like John, the state is God. It's from the crown that they draw their spiritual identity. It's sad really, alleges Ian. Thank you, Ian. Paul says, imagine living a life that is so wretched that your only source of joy is camping out on the mall, hoping to catch a glimpse of that freak show family. Uh, 
Not much love for the royal family on richieallen.co.uk. Unsurprisingly. Brambo says the only reason I support this anachronistic, toxic, ruritarian farce is that I hope Elizabeth lives for a few more years to protect us from the thick globalist pawn twat Charles from ascending to the throne. Otherwise, feck him all. <laughs> well, that's new. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Steve says, what about the children? And he links to a story about the Queen and the missing children. This is Winnipeg, Toronto. This is going way back, isn't it, to the 50s? Yes. Hi to David Keane. Thank you, David. Craig says, in the furore over reparations, it seems forgotten that, as abhorrent as we find it today, slavery was a widespread global trade a few hundred years ago and was intrinsically linked to the laws of North America, laws that the people had no vote on. The 17th, passed in the 1910s, gave people the vote. It's also worth remembering that there are many stories of freed black people themselves owning black slaves. So in those situations, who is paying who? It could be argued, he goes on to say, that more than anything, reparations is a great excuse to raise taxes. That's a conclusion I did draw in my own mind, Craig. Yes, it, it, that, on, at the very least, yes. An excuse to raise taxes, no doubt about that. But that's the least of it, of course. I think we probably see that similarly. Mr. Sin says, Mr. Shin, he says, the left are the proponents of all the race debate. They are obsessed with three things, genitalia, gender and skin colour. These are their sticks to beat the rest of us with. They don't want solutions to their made-up problems. That's Mr. Shin. Thank you. Jane says, I'm loving the show. You're very kind, Jane. Just my opinion, but payouts are part of divide and conquer. Subdue with money to the elements of society um, who will first feel financial hardship and encourage submitting to the existing bureaucracy by filling in forms and proving your distant relative you never met suffered horrendously as a slave. Yes, like you said, reinforce victim mentality too. The UK government will increase benefits to pacify those with the least to lose from rebellion and they will reinforce the vision between benefits claimants and hard-working folks. This is my opinion, says Jane. It's not bad at all, Jane. Well put. Uh, and Anth says, Richie, if you want the genuine conversation about slavery, you should get Lawrence Westgaff on the show. He's a black scouser who tours, conducts tours around Liverpool, giving historical facts about the city's connections to slavery and the War of Independence. He's a bloke who likes a conversation, says Anth. I'll check him out. Might be the case that I've invited the guy on before. I have sent out lots and lots of emails. Angela says, how are you doing, Angela? Good to hear from you. It's nuts to have to pay for anyone's past misdeeds. Who knows, we may have all been slaves in the past or in past lives, if such things exist. Conversely, black or others may have been slavers in past lives. That's an interesting take, Angela. Well put as well. Vicky says we're all slaves to the system in one way or another. Shackles don't define slavery. There will always be a ruling class, says Vicky. Chris and Emma say there are still 40 million slaves today. Not a peep about these poor bastards. Well said. Thank you. Uh, let me go on down. Jason says when these pricks go to Eton, all they are thought a taught even, is how to drag out a bullshit story. A-plus for Boris, pissed Stane Johnson for effort, says Jason. Don't hold back, Jason. Monk says he dips bread in oil. Yes, I think he's referring back to my musing on, on, on putting out some tapas 
for your guests? If you have people coming round, how far do you go? What do you put out with the wine and the beers? What do you put out? Is it peanuts and crisps or do you go all pretentious? I like monk, I dip bread in oil. We do that as well. It's nine minutes to six o'clock. It's time to talk about something else. Uh, Violence is on the increase in GP surgeries, apparently. People can't get seen. In some places, some GPs have as many as 2,000 patients on their books. In fact, the Daily Mirror reported today that one GP, Dan Saff, one GP, Dan Saff, has got 2,500 patients. God knows we only pay for it, right? And yet we can't get to see a doctor. They blame COVID. A GP rang into James O'Brien, don't panic, we're not going to spend much time on James O'Brien. But this is interesting because the GP gave a good reason as to why they are so busy right now. But James O'Brien did what gatekeepers do. He diverts the caller away from, he diverts the doctor caller away from what he was digging down into. Have a listen. We are in a situation where it feels horrible not to be able to meet the demand. But this huge amount of... um, Two things have happened. There was simply more complicated pathology. In fact, three things. I'm sorry, more complicated pathology. There is a change in patients' behaviour. And I think people are consulting now for things they never would have come. They would have, and forgive me, this sounds patronising, no. I don't mean to, no, but things you would have asked your mother. Mm. Mm. O'Brien, you're that arsehole O'Brien. What the doctor is saying here is very interesting. People are turning up to the surgery now for fake all. And I think people are consulting now for things they never would have come. They would have, and forgive me, this sounds patronising, no. I don't mean to, no, but things you would have asked your mum about. Um, yeah. Things you would have asked your mum about. That simply would never have crossed the threshold before COVID, but people are terrified, and I get that. We People are shit scared. They're terrified now because of COVID. They're running to their GP, demanding an appointment when they don't really need one. You would have asked mum or gran... Dad, uh, what, what would you? Well, yeah, get some cloves, get some cloves, get some whiskey, get some brown sugar, get a lemon, boil the kettle, boil the water, don't boil the fucking kettle, and uh, we'll make you a hot whiskey or something else. But this doctor says people are terrified. Now, if you're the presenter, any presenter, this is very interesting, and you know that this might spark a big rush in calls coming in from other listeners. This is a gold mine now. Right, he's saying that people are coming in for nothing. Not everybody, but some people. And this is jamming up. This is jamming up the surgeries and the appointments. So if you're a presenter, you're like, right, we'll go down that alleyway with you. But this is so important, what he's saying. It is really about people being terrified by COVID that James O'Brien has to steer him away. He wants to be able to help, but it come, keeps coming. There's a limit, and, and I, I don't know if it's fair on you, but I, well, it probably is actually. The, the, I mean, this is so the contenders. I hate this bastard, you know. Contenders for this hour of the program today, Jeremy. Were, were the GPs. The contenders for this hour of the program, says O'Brien. He's now in 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 partridge esque glory. He's now going to tell the GP what they were considering talking about in this hour of the program. This wanker, rather than pursue the doctor's claim, the surgeries are jammed up by people who would have come, who wouldn't, who would not have come previously because of the triviality. 
or because their problem is trivial? Is actually the the. I mean, this is so the contenders for this hour of the program today, Jeremy, were, were the GP surgeries and the stories about ministers being accused of fueling anger as rising violence hits GP surgeries and the airport story, which is you know, so who is to blame for this chaos and 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 what is going on with regard to airlines and in some ways. If we just sort of re-edited it retrospectively and changed some of the words for the other words, the, the, the conversation's very, very similar. It's about the public being incredibly angry about, a, I mean, a correct perception of, of, a, of a paucity of service. Paucity of service. You hear that guy, you hear that guy, that guy jerks off to a photograph of himself. You hear that? And what he's doing there, O'Brien, people are angry. No, no, the doctor said they're terrified. Those were his words. COVID has left them basically in a state of infantilism, of infancy, because of the lies and the fear-mongering, and the scaremongering and the bullshit posters with people dying with grey faces and red eyes. They're terrified and now they're hearing about monkeypox. And now if they sneeze, they're demanding to see their doctors and if they're not getting any satisfaction from the receptionist, they are going down to the surgery. That was worth exploring. But O'Brien and his producers don't want people hearing that. That people were shit scared and they really don't have any need to be. So the goon, the partridge-esque goon, diverts him away and starts talking bollocks, which he's a world champion at doing. But the service is not the levels that anybody wants it to be. Because Yeah, I hate him. I, I don't know, I hate the word hate. I detest it, the idea that somebody could move you that much that you would hate them, but I hate him. Oh, God, yeah, it's, it's a violent hatred. Inside now, for a guy like him. So we'll give him a, we'll give him a wide berth for a bit. James O'Brien, there, it's at three minutes to the top of the hour. Comment on the programme at richieallen.co.uk. Be good to chat with you. You know the governor of Texas, which of course is Greg Abbott, me, because I'm often wrong, which I, I'm not ashamed of, I did say on Thursday's programme that somebody else, your man Cruz, I said, didn't I, was the governor. When he's not, he's a senator. Of course, I'm a clown. Greg Abbott is the governor. Now, he attempted to ban social media companies from blocking people based on their political views, didn't he? Greg Abbott. He signed the bill into law last September, I believe. I'm thinking off the top of my head. It could have been later. But uh, the US Supreme Court now has blocked that. So the Texas legislature, led by Greg Abbott, they wanted to make it impossible for Twitter and other social media companies to kick people off because of their conservative views. That bill signed into law, but now the US Supreme Court said, no, we're going to pause that for a bit. Uh, it was a five to four ruling. The court agreed yesterday to a request supported by Twitter and others to temporarily block the law from coming into force. And I've written about this on richieallen.co.uk today because it's worth writing about, it's worth discussing. It's a smokescreen, I believe. Because in reality, I don't believe, and you, you, you may feel differently, and if you do feel differently, feel free, please, to send me a message via my website. You might see it a bit differently than I do. But I think it's a smokescreen. I don't believe that the owners of Twitter, the owners of Google, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, I don't believe they give a shite whether you or any other user is a conservative, 
is a Democratic Party member, is a member of the Tories here in the UK, is a member of Labour. They don't care. They don't give an arse. They don't care whether you are liberal, whether you are religious, whether you are atheist, whether you are gay, boy, trans, straight. They don't give a damn. Their only interest is in their hegemony over the internet and that you keep using the service. That's all they care about. And I believe the algorithms they designed to cause so much anger when people get banned, that was a deliberate attempt to constantly create or to foster and then to kind of cultivate a constant sense of injustice all the time. Because there are thousands and thousands of identity groups now and there are millions of people all too willing to assign themselves to an identity group. I see myself as non-binary. I see myself as a conservative. I see myself blah, 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 blah. What Twitter does is it uses algorithms to convince every single identity group that they and they alone are the target group, are, are, are the group targeted for censorship. They do it brilliantly. That's my opinion. Twitter doesn't really give an arse about your views on gender identity, sexuality, nationalism or immigration. My opinion. Doesn't care. But it looks like Twitter really does care. No, it doesn't. It's only interested in getting you on the platform, maintaining its hegemony and keeping you on the platform, even if you get kicked off. Get you back. They know you'll come back using a new email address and using a new Twitter avatar. You'll use a new username. They know you'll come back. Not, not all people, but most people will come back. It's amazing. They're in the business of distorting reality. That's their business. You know, we, 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 we know, you and me, that, I wrote about this today, there is an agenda which at the moment is moving very, very quickly to transform life on this planet using crises like climate change, which is nonsense, fake pandemics, to change people's perceptions of reality so that they will accept a new reality where everything they do is controlled from the moment they get up in the morning till the moment they go to bed. And that is the purpose of Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube. It's the only purpose to hide this expeditious agenda because it's moving at the speed of light, to hide it from their billions of users and to keep them bickering and arguing and killing one another of matters of little importance like somebody's sexuality or which toilet somebody uses. Because ultimately that amounts to, in the grand scheme of things, it amounts to nothing. Now, the gender stuff is important because that interferes with children and child development, so I'm not being, I'm not trying to trivialise that. But everything else I've said, I believe to be true. It, it does so well, Twitter, particularly Twitter, at making it look like the company is going after conservatives or Christians. And to the Christian or to the conservative or to the conservative Christian, it looks like that's the case. But in reality, no. What it's doing is it's creating um, it's creating a paradigm um, where you will only get one side of any story. That's what it's meant to do ultimately. Is 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 is, is block out anything else that challenges in any way the official narrative on any given agenda. That's what it's about. It uses these manufactured crises like climate change and fake pandemics 
to change people's perceptions and Twitter and all the rest exist to make sure that happens. And uh, it's a concept that's difficult to grasp for a lot of people who feel victimised by it. By You see them all the time talking about, oh, I, I've just been banned by Facebook for another day and uh, Twitter kicked me off again for a month and all this stuff. They get all vexed about it and they get wound up about it and feel that they are being persecuted when they're not really being persecuted. It's deeper than that, but most people, I don't think, can see it. More of your comments next. And more news. Fleetwood Mac and Go Your Own Way on the Richie Allen Show, live from Salford here in Greater Manchester. Iconic, the home of hard-hitting news, groundbreaking original series and films, podcasts, live events and more across a range of subjects from current affairs, reality, consciousness, health, wellness, spirituality, comedy, and more. Start your seven-day free trial now and begin your iconic journey today. Find us online, iOS, Android, Roku, and Amazon Fire Stick. Iconic. It all starts with you. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics, and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yes, it is seven minutes past six. The Richie Allen Show is live. It's always live. It is live. Marvellous. Okay, thanks for all your comments. I appreciate them. There are legion. Pandora, Pandora even. The old voice is cracking today. Thanks for your message there. It's long. Not going to read it out. I'll be there all day. But it is interesting. You want to read it? RichieAllen.co.uk live comment. It's about dentistry. Uh, check it out there. Thanks for that. Uh, hi to Eamon. How are you doing, Eamon? He says, given how Richie and others have been treated by the corporate media, I now refer to them as the social manipulation platforms. That's exactly right. Thanks, Eamon. Craig says, don't hate Fluffer O'Brien. As icky as it might be, imagine him doing the work that his nickname implies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, did I label him Fluffer? I've used that term before. I used, to, I used to refer to Paul Joseph Watson as a Fluffer for Alex Jones. Turns out he was a lot worse than that. He was uh, caught royally, wasn't he, with his trousers down Watson recently, using um, language unbecoming of any decent human being about uh, black people and Jewish people. Paul Joseph Watson, eh? Yeah. Adam says you can say anything you like, providing that you remain powerless. The masses are pacified by cheap consumerism and a few weeks in the sun, says Adam. Fair enough. <laughs> And you're, you're kind of split and divided on whether you do or don't hate James O'Brien. Most or much of what I say, the tongue is firmly pressed into the cheek, you know. Um, I don't generally give the guy the time of day. I don't think about the guy very often. But when I hear the bastard. Craigie says, I walked past a lady today in my town centre wearing a cap saying, make women female again. I presume it was under the make America great again which was the slogan for Trump. I had a good chuckle. After she'd walked past, I thought it was great. I wonder who's making a few bob with that one. Lady wearing a make women female again. Yes, very good. And the Ricky Gervais stuff has kind of, kind of gone quiet, hasn't it? He made that special for Netflix. He talks about trans activists, not trans people. He doesn't laugh or mock or put down trans people. He takes the piss out of the activists 
and he does it quite well. And of course, there was an outcry, but it seems to have died down. I've said this before a thousand times over the years. The way to deal with these idiots is to ignore them. You know, it's worth mentioning again. I know it's going to sound like me, 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 me. It isn't. It just happens to be my radio programme. But about three years ago, um, and some of you will remember this, it got pretty bad and it made all the papers, but there was a proper pylon against um, myself on Twitter. Now, this is back when I had a Twitter account and it had um, it had a you know a pretty healthy following because the show had been around for a few years and I was being goaded by some... I don't know who they were. What, what you could you could assign a label to anything, and labels are maybe not very are not very healthy. But one one label I suppose you could say is um, I don't know Zionist activist or you know somebody who you know doing the dirty work of the state of Israel maybe that is goading people who don't like Israel very much. But anyway, we'd only just moved into this house a few weeks and they were goading me about the about the Holocaust and they wanted to know what my position on the Holocaust was. Now I don't uh, I don't answer to anybody. Nobody has any authority over me. So rather than tell them what what I understand about the Holocaust through my visits to um, Dachau originally and then and then um, Auschwitz I wouldn't give them the satisfaction. So I told them that I was sick to death of hearing about it. That wasn't acceptable. You can't say that in the 21st century. So the pylon was unmerciful. Now when I say unmerciful, that would give the impression that I cared about it. I didn't. But it was absolutely relentless for three days. Celebrities, uh, Z-list celebrities... Screaming abuse at me, calling me a Nazi, a racist, hateful. I should be arrested. This went on and on and on. Some people jumped in, some well-known, some not so well-known, to say, this is outlandish, what's this all about? I'll never forget the ones that stood up for me, namely Hayden Hewitt, namely Stephen Englander, who's my Jewish accountant. But it went on and on and on. It was relentless. There's a reason I'm telling you about this. It's kind of slipped out of my mind now. It's because I've had a busy day. It might come back to me. But the ignoring people thing. Yeah, ignore them and they'll go away for three days. Now, that's not to say that I just sat silently for three days. I did send some pretty witty, in my opinion, witty answers to quite a few of them. And I started fighting back. I started having a go at them. And um, quite a bit of it dropped away because they realised, well, this guy isn't being cowed. He's not being cowed or cowered by our abuse. So... There's no point in abusing him, so we'll just go away. But some kept it up, and eventually I just went back to tweeting about something else, and they pissed off and went after another target. Just to, just turn your back on them. That's the thing to do. Ignore them. And they go away. And it's the same with these idiots screaming about trans this and trans that, and, you know, you're hateful and you're bigots, you're, you're, you're racist, you're, you're a bigot, you're... You know, when you ignore them or laugh at them and call them names, but witty names, not just stupid childish stuff. I'm quite witty at times. And in that situation, when I'm, you know, when the adrenaline is pouring through me, I can be witty. And uh, I just went after them. And then I just started tweeting about other stuff and they pissed off. I had people asking me for interviews. 
I said, I'll give you an interview as long as I can record it. Oh, oh, we're not interested then. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know why you wouldn't want me to record it to protect myself. like. But, um, yeah, and then somebody pointed out quite rightly, it's a bit easier for you, Richie, to adopt your strategy or to hold your attitude because you're a sole trader, a loan operator, totally independent. And there's there's a bit of truth in that. Yes, yes, there is a bit of truth in that. You know, it would be difficult if you were employed by a company. But I told him I'm sick to death of hearing about the Holocaust. And of course, I qualified it. Because I'm not trying to go out of my way to wind people up. There's no harm in winding people up when they deserve it. But um, I qualified what I was saying by saying, sure, Jesus, Hollywood pumps out at least a dozen films a year about the Holocaust, like. Um, the newspapers refer to it often, quite often. Um, we hear often about survivors. I'm, I'm certainly not taking the piss out of the survivors, but we hear a lot about them. God love them. They've lived to be 100 and all of that. We hear about some 92-year-old German guy who was found somewhere. And now he's being dragged into court because he was a collaborator by the, you know, by, by the, the, the Wiesenthal people. So it's always out there. So we're never left here the end of it, like. And 25 million Russians were killed in the Second World War, you know. You know, 4 million Vietnamese people were killed in the period of time, 1960s, 50s, 60s, through to the early 1970s, by various armies, the French and, and the Brits and, and by the Americans. But 4 million Vietnamese, is that, is that not a Holocaust-like? Kind of sounds like one to me. Right, they mightn't have been all kind of herded up and put into a, into a prison and medical experiments done on them and stuff and, 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 and murdered. They might, but there were still four million Vietnamese there before you started this shit. Like, so that's what I was doing basically. Eventually, they went away when they know that you're just not going to stop. <laughs> and I don't. I'm like the Duracell bunny when somebody goes after me. I never stop. Up all day, up all night. You know, twenty four seven, not going away. You'll stop before I do. I'm relentless. That's a fault, by the way, and it's a blessing. Is <laughs> what it is. It's more of a fault, maybe. Zana Blessings, the time is 16 minutes past the hour. What else are we going to talk about? Remember Nadim Zahawi got chased out of Warwick University by trans activists last Friday? Remember that? All because he said women equals adult human female. Well, LBC's Nick Ferrari wanted to talk to someone from the students' union there. So would I, but they won't talk to me. So he got someone, someone called Naga Levy Rappaport. That's a woman. At least I think it's a woman. She refers to herself as Naga Levy Rappaport. She is the LGBT plus officer for Warwick Students Union. This is good for a laugh. Why was he harangued? Why was Nadim Zahawi harangued? Nick Ferrari asked the Students Union woman. Why don't you just hear him out? This was her reply. I mean, as LGBT plus officer, as someone who's been elected to represent LGBT plus students across this campus, my role is to represent these students and to show that the entire LGBT plus students stand together at this university. Zahawi has very clearly expressed his transphobic views. Hearing him out further is not the moment. Ah, hearing him further is not the moment. Zahawi has clearly expressed his transphobic views. We don't want to engage him and ask him, why do you feel that way? It's just not the time to hear any more of him. Hearing him out further is not 
the moment for this to occur. This is something that he's made clear. The, the, him attending this event and speaking wasn't about LGBT rights. He has ve been very clear that he is willing to trivialise the detrimental impact of outing LGBT plus youth to their parents, where over 50% of LGBT plus youth fear being evicted from their home. And in my Bullshit. Ferrari should have challenged that. She lied about Zahawi. She said that Zahawi is encouraging people to out LGBT or trans students to their parents. That's a lie. When And I despise Zahawi now. Of course I do. I, I deplore the man. Zahawi said that if a primary school child, this is how I understand it, is expressing confusion about his or her gender, the parents should be informed about that. But liars like this Naga Levy Rappaport, snowflakes, they can't deal with the truth. They can't deal in truth. Let's have a chat, but let's deal in facts. No, they can't. They've got to tell lies. So as odious as Zahawi is, somebody who doesn't give a damn about education or anybody in education, he didn't say that, you know, trans students, which is third level students, are being outed, or he didn't call for that. He said that parents must be told if their very young primary school children have expressed concerns or expressed an opinion about their gender. What really pisses them off is that Zahawi said woman equals adult human female and that a woman can't have a penis. That's why she's really pissed off. T plus youth to their parents, where over 50% of LGBT plus youth for being evicted from their home. Lie, lie. You have to stop her there and ask her for evidence. Over 50% of LGBT plus students are being evicted from their homes because their parents are bigots? Where's the evidence for that, Naga? She won't have any. And in my role as officer, people have come to me about those concerns. Can this is someone whose government has yet to explicitly yes. include trans people in the conversion yes, therapy ban, which Can leaves I? vulnerable trans yes. youth in particular at but huge risk of abuse and suffering. We uh, attended hmm. because we have a right M to Mike exercise, I, in, our yeah. right to protest and make our voices heard. Make our voices heard, but why didn't you talk to the man? Why didn't you talk to the man? Isn't that democracy? Isn't that debate? Why didn't you go in to where he was speaking? And he was speaking to conservative students or, or a club of conservative supporting students. Why didn't you go in there and ask him, what did you mean when you said parents should be told and blah, blah, blah? No, you'd prefer to scream abuse at him and wave placards at him and demand that he be silenced. Stand up for our safety and welfare. Can, can we I, don't wish to be silenced. Okay. Firstly, do I address you as Noga, Miss Levy Rappaport? How would you like me to address your name? What is the best way to proceed? I'm Noga Levy Rappaport. Noga, my apologies. No, Noga. Do I call you Noga or Miss Levy Rappaport? Which do you prefer? Why is he asking that? Just get on with it. Noga. Noga. Okay, thank you. Noga, it's not as if he just rocked up. He was invited by some of your fellow students, I understand, the university's Conservative Association. He was responding to an invitation. At the very lowest, this was rather rude welcome, just because you hadn't invited him. Yes, you hadn't invited him and you don't like what he says. Yeah? We hadn't invited him, absolutely. These but fellow students, the but there were several of us who attempted to attend the event. This was something, this was a disruption, a protest that was planned to but show that not all students were willing to stand by his side, but actually several of our fellow members wanted to attend the event. Some of us weren't sent tickets because people were explicitly no, singled up for his identity. Multiple students Noga, were turned what, away what by gives, security Noga, because they were simply you, wearing pride merch. This what is something gives, we tried to come. Noga, what gives you and your colleagues the right 
to not allow fellow students to hear a speech from someone that they'd sought to invite? Yes, what a question. What gives you the right to do that? We have a democratic right to protest and disrupt. You, Some... you have a democratic right to fuck off and mind your own business. That's, that's your democratic right. Either put up or shut up. Either go into the room and speak to the guy you hate and ask him why is he so hateful and why does he hate trans and listen to his answer. Either do that or fuck off. There's no... There should be no option to, to prevent him from speaking to the people who invited him to speak. You cretin. Do you understand? They get a soft ride, these people, don't they? When they go on commercial and national radio. Let's not hear any more of her. But over on the BBC, listen to this mad shite now. It's a spooky stuff. I mean, there was nobody around like this when I was in, you know, when I worked in the media. There was nobody around like this when I was in uni. I don't know if you've heard of Nadia Begum, who describes herself as a media personality on her Twitter account. She's written some books on baking and has been on television as a result of it. I, I, I hesitate to pigeonhole the woman, but she looks like a British Asian woman to me. Nadia Begum suggests she's Asian. She might even be Muslim, she might not. She wants the world to revolve around her. Doesn't see enough people who look like her and isn't comfortable when she goes into rooms. This is genuine stuff. This is not parody. This is Nadia Begum speaking on a podcast run by Global Media. Um, to date, I have never been in a situation where I felt completely comfortable. <laughs> I just got to start that again, don't you? It's amazing, huh? Um, to date, I have never been in a situation where I felt completely comfortable. Why? You know, because I'm constantly pushing myself out of my comfort zone and saying, well, this is what I'd like to be doing, whether it's an open university degree, whether it's a job interview. I'm always pushing myself. And never- What's I mean you're pushing yourself? Surely if there's an open university degree, surely you just do it. If there's a job interview, surely you just attend it, dressed well with your CV in hand. And your research on the company done beforehand. Nadia, what's the problem? Never have I walked into a room and felt like, oh, this feels like an equal room. This <laughs> Never have I walked into a room and felt like this was an equal room. It feels like a room where everybody is represented. Um, ah, right, yeah, yeah. Now we're getting to the crux of it. Where everybody is represented. I've never walked into a room where everybody is represented. This feels like a room where everybody is represented. Um... And I make excuses for that. I'm like, well, that's okay, you know, but no more excuses. Like, no. No more excuses. Nadia has her sleeves rolled up. She's taking no shit now. No more excuses. We have to stop making excuses. And that is part of the problem. We've got to stop making excuses for unequal rooms, dear listener. And, you know, I stepped into this industry, whether it's television or publishing, both of which I have stepped into meetings, into rooms, into, um, you know, into situations, whether it's festivals, you name it. And I never, ever felt like I always stuck out like a sore thumb. She stuck out like a sore thumb. I never, ever felt represented. I always felt like this room doesn't look like me. It doesn't what do you mean you never felt represented? Don't you represent yourself, you daft fucking bint? Aren't you there to represent yourself? How could it be possible to walk into a room and not feel represented? What the fuck? You're there. 
You mad cow. You're there. Surely you are representing yourself. Doesn't matter what anybody else in the room looks like. How could it matter? You're going in there thinking, right, I'm going to make me presence felt in this room now. I'm here today. Uh, I, I have a publishing deal. I've been on telly. I'm going to network, goddammit. I'm going to speak to people. I'm going to have a chat with people. I'm going to charm the fucking birds out of the trees. No, Nadia Begum, arsehole, I don't feel represented in the room. I never felt represented. I always felt like this room doesn't look like me. It doesn't feel like... This room doesn't look like me. Like me. It doesn't sound like me. Doesn't sound like me. Doesn't look like me. And there was definitely a problem. You know, I there I am stood in front of the camera and I look behind me and there's sort of 50 other people and nobody looks, feels or sounds like me. Oh God. She's standing, looking down the lens of the camera about to deliver whatever fucking line she was given to deliver and she looks around... Not very many people look like her. And there's something quite daunting about working in that kind of industry because the truth is, the reality of the situation is that space was never created for someone like me. It was never created for someone like her, that space, yet you're there. How did you get there? What happened? What a heroine you must be to break that glass ceiling. This is not a parody. That's why I'm not there. So... That's why I kind of look at my job as not only a career, but also a responsibility. Some responsibility. See, this is mythomania. Do you remember years ago, I used to talk about mythomania on the programme, used to lecture in mythomania and how increasingly as time went on, people would be afflicted by mythomania, which is worse than narcissistic personality disorder. It is a belief that you are truly special. More special. It's almost sociopathy, but not quite. This belief in your own worthiness without anything tangible to point to to support why you feel that you are so special and so worthy. This is fucking insane. And, 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 and this is a microcosm of the macrocosm. I hear from people like this. I saw the first ever people like this when I ran radio courses for my own radio station and for City and Guilds, which I did. I saw this, the genesis of this, of these narcissists who had moved beyond narcissism into mythomania. The world must revolve around me. I must not revolve around the world. I'm a minority in this country. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have the percentages to hand. But I know that it's not more than 7, 8 or 9% Asian people in the UK. Yet I should walk into a room and I should see Asians everywhere. How the fuck does that mathematical equation work, love? Surely it's impossible. If the majority of people in the country are white people. These people are nuts, aren't they? Aren't they, though? Absolutely stone-mad mythomaniacs. Lunatics. Lunatics. I don't see myself represented. But but you've walked in there, love. The onus is on you to make an impression in there. What difference does it make if it's baldy white guys? <laughs> what difference does it make? You've been invited there because presumably somebody fucking thinks you've got something going for you. Nutters! All of them! Something that I would have never... Like, I would never have spoken about this six years ago, but six, seven years later, 
my job is as much my career as it is my responsibility to create space for people who oh, look, Jesus sound, Christ. feel like me to believe that they can be a part of an industry that was never meant for them. Oh God! Um, and I'm here to show them that this, you can have this career, you can take this space up because it's not about taking somebody else's space. She's a martyr. She's a martyr. That's Nadia Begum who writes books about bakery and sometimes appears on the television. I'm Richie Allen, the BBG, it's half six. Welcome if you've just joined me to the Richie Allen Show. How you doing? Happy Mondays. And step on on the Richie Allen Show, 26 minutes to the top of the hour. Hi to Leslie, who says, as a bit of BBG myself, do you think I could get a job as an extra in a Bollywood movie? Or would I look out of place? You might do. Not something I've ever watched, a Bollywood film. When we first lived in Manchester, because we met in Ireland, we very quickly left Ireland and we went to live in Rusholm in Manchester. It's a big, big Asian population there and uh, famous for the Curry Mile, of course. We used to see lots and lots of posters for Bollywood films. And also posters, posters for um, stars of music, music stars from Asia who would be appearing at the arena. Yeah. Urban Fox says, I wonder how at home, an unjabbed, unmasked, COVID and climate change denying straight middle-aged white male would feel going for a job interview these days. I don't know. Um, It's unlikely if you go for a job interview these days, at the moment, it's unlikely anyway, that they will ask you about your positions on climate change at the moment. But who knows? As for whether you are jabbed or not, they might do. You never know. Angus says this is the generation who as children were in the backs of cars sporting little prince slash princess on board. Maybe. (laughs) Absolutely. David came back to say the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, The Survivor, is hilarious, as is every single episode. Larry David was humming Wagner and was accused of being a self-hating Jew. Best ever episode. For me, though, is Larry versus Michael J. Fox. Thank you, David. I've never seen an episode of that. and I am reliably told it's a terrific programme. Chris says, imagine walking into a room and you're the only bald one, you silly cow, says Chris. Yeah, imagine that. Never happened to me, I don't think. There's always been somebody bald around. The bald community, you see. Craig says, the last thing I want in life is to have other people represent me. How the feck can I stand out and make a pest of myself if everyone else is like me? The representation thing erodes individuality and uniqueness. (laughs) Faisal says, I'd be freaked out if I walked into a room and anybody there looked like me. That's right, Faisal. You, um... You are part of a a minority group. It's a fact. You know? Angela says, Nadia is a beautiful young woman with a loving husband and family. She has had endless success on Bake Off and also many other TV programmes. What a self-centred woman, says Angela. She's a mythomaniac, Angela. She's gone now. You'll never recover her again. She'll never be right in the head. She'll never be, you know, a normal decent, self-deprecating 
human being like the rest of us. The rest of us can laugh at ourselves, at our idiosyncrasies, at our appearance. Nothing you can do about it. I saw a message from someone yesterday who said it was very difficult going through uh, hair loss in late teens, early 20s. I suppose it must have been. That didn't happen to me. Mine began to thin out in my late 20s. But I was at school with a chap who had, you know, pretty um, advanced hair loss when we were in high school. And that was, I suppose, very difficult for him. I have to say, he didn't have the mickey taken out of him for it. Nobody took the piss out of him. It wasn't because he was big, like. We, we just didn't take the piss out of him. I suppose on some level we felt like that's going a bit too far. He's probably um, suffering enough as it is. Pandora says, when I was in uni, I made a total mockery of their student election nights uh, in fights and created real debate across all so-called no platform for fascists. It was magic to watch. I even got a mention in their newspaper as the stranger that night. That fixed things, said uh, Pandora. <laughs> right. Very good. Thank you for your messages. Just one or two more things to talk about before we wrap it up. This is interesting and it's important too. Um, before I do that, let me mention Mark Boyerski again, markboyerski.com, a friend of the programmes, great, great guy, has been very supportive of the independent media and of this programme over the years. Mark has said for the next few weeks, he will, uh, if anyone goes on the website and buys an e-book, he will send the entire proceeds to this programme. So if you buy an e-book there at markbierski.com, but everyone who does will go into a draw, he's doing it, and three people will get a Moldavite crystal. That's a lovely thing. So again, thanks to him. Ofcom then, which is the media regulator here in the UK, it doesn't regulate me. It wants to now. I'm not saying it wants to regulate me personally. I'm not saying that at all. I don't have Nadia Begum like, I don't have Nadia Begum like delusions of grandeur, I don't but it wants to get rid of the independent media and it wants to to take responsibility for it, it wants us basically to have to be licensed and that's what it wants let me read this, it's important the head of media regulator Ofcom says tech firms must do more to protect women online, after its report revealed they were more likely to be victims its report on UK media habits says women are more likely than men to face online abuse or to see harmful content and more likely to be distressed by it. Only 42% of the women in its survey said they felt comfortable about speaking freely online. Dame Melanie Dawes said firms should prioritise user safety over revenue. Ofcom is set to become the regulator of social media platforms as part of the government's online harms bill, which puts the onus on tech companies to act swiftly to protect users and remove hateful content or face steep fines. In its survey of more than 6,600 adults in the UK, only 21% of people who had reported content to the social networks said it had been removed as a result. And half said nothing had happened at all. Well, maybe Twitter or Facebook looked at the content that was reported and maybe it said, that's just somebody's opinion. Tough shit, Paddy, that you're outraged and offended. Tough shit. It doesn't violate our 
rules and our terms and conditions. Anyhow, so there's a quote from Dame Melanie Dawes. Look at your algorithms. Too many companies prioritise growth and revenue over user safety and don't actually think about the impact on the frontline user, said Dame Melanie, the regulator's chief executive. And here is Melanie Dawes speaking to Times Radio today. Have a listen. I think this is kind of important. I would start by saying, you know, I think they should talk to the women who are using their services, find out what they think and give them the tools to report stuff that they're concerned about and then show them that you're acting when something goes wrong. People don't believe that there's action at the moment, even when they report uh, problematic content. The second thing I'd say is look at your algorithms and what goes viral, because too many companies prioritise growth and revenues over user safety. Look at your algorithms and what goes viral. So she wants companies to manipulate their algorithms to stop certain things going viral. If you've never heard the term before, dear listener, I'm not patronising you. Going viral means that it gets lots and lots and lots and lots of shares, like retweets on Twitter and shares on Facebook. Everybody starts talking about it. She wants them to step in, shut down conversations that are going viral. And I think we need to see the companies standing more in the shoes of their users and actually understanding what it's like to be on the service rather than just standing and looking at how it, how it feels when you've designed it in the lab. And then the final thing I'd say, to be honest, to the tech companies is look at yourselves. Where are the women in your business? The tech teams in most of these companies are pretty male overall. And that that means that women's voices are not there at the decision point when products are being designed and tested. And I think we see too often that new services are rolled out, often on young people and children as well, actually. And safety has to be retrofitted when it's actually much harder. So get that conversation in up front. But you've got to bring people in. Got to bring people in, she says. Get more women in these roles. Okay, we've heard that type of thing before. She was then asked what I think is a very good question. Remember, you're listening to the head of Ofcom, Melanie Dawes. Listen to the question she's asked next by the presenter. Uh, One thing I thought was interesting, um, uh, well, I still thought most of it was interesting, but this really stood out for me. 60% of female users who experienced trolling most recently were bothered or offended compared to 25% of male users. Does that mean you're a woman, I'm a woman, does that mean that that we are um, less robust? Wonderful question. It's a shame she asked it about women, really, because I don't think it's got anything to do with gender. She should have asked her, despite the survey findings, aren't we a little bit overly sensitive now regarding the opinions of total strangers? And people who hide behind ridiculous usernames and Marvel superhero avatars. Aren't we, actually aren't we quite wretched and pathetic to be demanding that somebody we have never met and will never meet, someone whose name we don't know, we don't know what they look like, what age they are, what their ethnicity is. Isn't it pathetic that we could get so up in arms and so distraught at something they tweeted. That would be my way of asking, do we need to be a bit more robust? That's a brilliant question because it's at the heart of the matter. What does the Ofcom woman say? Or does it mean that men are too robust? Well, I don't think this is about women being less robust personally. Me neither. And I'm not trying to score uh, points with my female listeners. I don't believe women are any more 
um, likely to melt down on social media because of something they don't like. So I think that's a non-point. Leave that there. What about the point that we need to be a little bit less sensitive and not be demanding that stuff gets taken down? I think it's about the experiences women have when they're online. When we look at the data here, we can see that she men... She doesn't want to address the question at all. Men are more likely to experience scams and disinformation, but women are more likely to get um, harm, you know, that's more personal, to be honest, whether it's about, you know, body image or... Uh, harm that's more personal. Harm. Because a woman might be fat shamed on Twitter or some bloke might call her ugly or make some comment about her appearance. That is, if the woman in question has put a real photograph of herself on her account. Again, I ask, isn't the problem with you? How can you be brought down? How can you be brought to tears? How can you be brought to angst and distress because some fucking dickhead who's too cowardly to tweet under his own name using a real photograph makes some comment about your body? There's something wrong with you, isn't there? If that can take you down. Nobody wants to talk about that for some reason. Whether it's about, you know, body image or, um, you know... This is why I mentioned all that shit that I was was reading about me three years ago and how I ignored all of it. I never sent a single report to Twitter. I had death threats. Somebody put my address on Twitter. Only then did I get the cops involved. Because that's serious shit, right? But everybody else with all the names and we'll kill you and we'll find you in Manchester and all that stuff, I just ignored it. Certainly didn't report them to Twitter because I knew they were liars. Cowards. Wetbags. Douchebags, they call them in America. It's about the worst thing you can be, a douchebag. Used to hose out somebody's rectum. That's all you are, really. And that's how I see them. Couldn't bring me down, but, but yet they want us to believe that people need to be protected from name-calling on a social media platform, names called out against you, again by some dipstick who's probably hiding in a cupboard in his mother's bedroom, probably, with his laptop. And you say he can hurt you? Excessive dieting or whether it's hate speech directed at women. So What's that? What's hate speech? I think we need to listen to women and what they're saying through this survey and to be honest, through many other surveys as well, um, rather than trying to somehow suggest that women need to uh, kind of change their approach to some of these problems. No, no, it's not about changing your approach. It's just about ignoring people. You see, nobody ever mentions this one immutable truth. It's either an immutable truth or it's an irrefutable fact. On Twitter and on Facebook, at the speed of light, nearly, you can either mute or block the dickhead who is calling you names. It's so easy. Ridiculously easy. I muted many over the years. I think I probably blocked two over the years. I just got tired of them. Not because I was offended. The muting was just when guys just keep coming at you with stupid comments and over and over again. You don't want to keep seeing it in your feed, so just mute. Simple as that. Mute. Be done with it. These tools exist already. Why are they not telling people? If somebody comes on your account, if you tweeted a photograph of yourself and you're on holiday in, let's say you're on holiday in Santa Ponza and you've been at the pool, 
having a San Miguel with your feet in the water and you're having a bit of crack. Some idiot goes on, uh, tweets underneath your photograph that you're a big, horrible, fat cow or whatever. First of all, how could you be offended by that? And second of all, can't you just block the guy? Like, why, why, why do we have to have committees and why do we have to have legislation going through Parliament to enshrine in law that people will be protected from hearing or seeing things they don't like? We can't expect to go through life, can we? Not hearing or seeing things that we don't like? Nobody should claim to have the power to protect you from our souls, right? And by the way, every single one of us has been an arsehole throughout, at one time or another in our lives. I've said things over the years that upset people, not often willingly, sometimes because of my big stupid mouth. I was 16, I was in a pub drinking lemonade, I was drinking lemonade, with uh, friends of mine watching a football match. And I was in the company of a lovely chap who was my friend's brother's classmate. So they were two years older than us. And the chap was in a wheelchair. He'd been injured in a car accident. And he was uh, confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And I made a terribly insensitive comment. uh, Along the lines of a joke about cripples. While the chap was sitting next to me. Stupid thing to say that only a... You know, a child, only a loudmouth would say without thinking. I was guilty for ages. I apologised and apologised and apologised. But the guy was horrified. We've all done it, we've all said stuff. But it doesn't hurt you, really. You know, it doesn't injure you. Nobody can tell you you're going to go through life. And not meet a dickhead. I was the dickhead on that day. Nothing could prevent it, because I'm an idiot, or I was an idiot. But that's what they're doing now. You know, it's the state... It's infantilizing again, taking control of people, urging people to be victims. You're victims of abuse online. You are victims of mental health problems. You're victims. You're vulnerable. Therefore, listen, we will, don't worry about that. We'll legislate for that. We'll make law around that to protect you. And I have to imagine that under a certain age, platform, under a certain age group, a certain generation of people, I should say, to be to be precise, probably love this idea that if they feel something is hurtful or harmful, that the government will step in and remove it from their from their vision, take it out of their out out, out of where they can hear it, and then punish and censor the person who caused the offence to begin with. And I wonder, is there any point in even trying to speak to people who are in favour of this and, and and read out the old the old legend? You, you might say the old poem, but it's not the old wisdom. First they came for, and I didn't do anything. Then they came for, and I didn't do anything. And then there was only me. And what do you think they're going to do then? When all that's left is you. Amazing, really. The concept is lost on people. Never give the state that kind of power over you to tell you that you're a victim and vulnerable to comments about your appearance or about your ideologies or about your gender identity. Never give the state that power to take ownership of your feelings and your experiences 
Because no good can come of it. All that comes of it is even more draconian censorship. And eventually a social credit system of living. Where nobody will say anything to anybody. Ever. About anything. Lest they fall foul of it. You know. They can't see it, can they? They can't see it. Oh, God. Number of you are telling me on the live comment and through email for the crack that um, the, the, the jury has reached some sort of verdict in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard defamation trial. That was quick. That was quick. Maybe Johnny Depp's appearances with Beck on stage around the UK may have prompted a, a quick, a, a hasty decision by the jury. You know that Johnny Depp is suing his former wife for, for defamation over things she said about him that he that he had abused her physically. Um, apparently, there's a verdict, but it hasn't yet been announced. We'll probably be off air, but it'll be interesting. I wanted to see what they, what they come up with. You never know, do you? Um, it's been on our TV screens, hasn't it, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, the time is five and a half minutes to the top of the hour. By the way, Charlie Robinson, the author, is on the show tomorrow. He's one of my guests tomorrow, Thursday, because just in case you didn't know, it's not a holiday for me tomorrow. I took it on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, now you see. Probably thinking, oh, he's going to find a reason now to take tomorrow off. No, no, I don't do that. I'll be here tomorrow at five, as per usual. I will have guests. We will have chats. I can't find any news. I'm scrolling around as quick as I can. I'm I'm a member, or I subscribe to all the newspapers. So, uh, well, the show does. The show subscribes to all of the newspapers. It's part of the many expenses of the Richie Allen show. Uh, the Times alone costs uh, £27 a month to subscribe to. That's not bad, really. When you think the paper's about three quid, isn't it? Uh, daily, and I get the entire thing online for 27 quid a month. No, no mention yet. I can't find anything about uh, the Depp Amber Heard trial. Okay. Rightio, so I'll leave it there then. Thanks for being with me. I flew solo. I would tell you about the effort it takes to produce a show like this, packed full of content and audio and news, all by yourself, but you wouldn't understand. So I'm not going to tell you that. But I will say once again, please support the programme. If you're new to it, it's a 16-hour-a-day job. It's me and me alone. There are no producers, no assistants, no editors. It's just myself, you know. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Right, well, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday then. Thanks for commenting and keeping me company during the programme. I really appreciate it. Very soon, this programme will be on... Podomatic.com. From there, it will instantly appear on whichever podcast user is your preference, whichever one you prefer, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, you'll find it. So thanks. Do share it if you can, even though the algorithms, it won't get too far with the sharing. Thanks for listening. Back tomorrow again, Thursday, with the, the Richie Allen Show. Look after yourselves and one another. It's adios from me. Hasta pronto. Hasta mañana. Bye now. Done it all.